any any of these personality profiles, by the way, can unlock this for a team. It's it's that realization that we're not all the same. And sometimes you go through that test and you know you answer the questions, you're like, oh well, you know, everybody's gonna be an I. Hello innovators, I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. My guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Dato, a construction technology startup that is focused on bridging the gap between the office and the field. Jake Olson has a passion for building things, whether companies, software platforms, teams, and more. Welcome to the show, Jake. Hey, thanks, Todd. Great to be here. First off, I'd love for you to, to briefly tell your story on, on how you got to where you are as co-founder of Dato and you know, kind of where your career has taken you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll keep it brief. I started uh, life as a structural engineer. Um, what you started with is true. I do have a passion for building things, which has kind of been a common thread through a meandering path. But I started as a structural engineer, uh, ended up um, working on a lot of job sites, physically out on the job sites. From there, I went to, uh, I think, you know, that was the first real, that was, I was 20 years old. I really first felt like construction was my calling. Yeah. I went to a construction products company. So a company that made concrete fasteners and anchors. So um, that was another, that was a good experience on learning innovation and how new ideas are, how do you come up with new ideas and innovate? That was a lot of fun. Uh, kind of had an entrepreneurial bug, so I ended up starting um, kind of my own company, which was a kind of a spinoff from that in overseas in uh, Shanghai. So that was called Powers China, and from there I set up another subsidiary in Taiwan. So I worked, I lived and worked in Asia for a while. Um, oh. Really got the, I think that's where the entrepreneurial bug really, really bit me, and I kind of knew that was going to be my calling. Um, yeah. So those companies were purchased by Stanley Black and Decker. And so they kind of bought the, the overall conglomerate. And um, so I had an opportunity to do something that I'd always kind of been interested in, which was work for a, a big, huge Fortune 100 company. So I did that for a few years. It was good. You really learn how to be an operator in a company like that. You know, oh, it's, <laughs> it's very, uh, you gotta have a lot of discipline in a lot of different areas, which was a good experience, um, but you know, a good, like I said, good check the box, but definitely not my long-term vision. So uh, about two years ago, um, we, we had internally an initiative to do more innovation and startup type work inside of Stanley Black & Decker, which led okay. to a spin out. Um, so uh, data was kind of incubated and spun out as a separate company uh, about two years ago. And um, so I went through that process and here we are today. Um, building building the company so it's been going pretty well awesome um well, one of the major building blocks of building company is the the culture and i know that's one area that you're really passionate about so let's get on the same page with defining the terms how would you define corporate culture <laughs> that's that's a good question um I don't think it. I don't think it lands in just a, uh, a list of terms, but I mean, there's definitely components to building a culture. Um, I think one of the cornerstones is having a good set of values that you really believe in. And then you know, there's a lot of companies you walk through and say, "Here's our values," and they're on a poster on the wall. Yeah. Um, but then you spend some time either working with the employees or or working with that company, and you realize that somebody did those 
at one point a long time ago and they're not really embraced by the company. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I would say step one is having a set of real true company values that you believe in that are sincere, that are, can be felt, whether you're an employee, whether you're somebody interacting with that company, you can truly feel those values. And that, that is probably the, the second cornerstone is like, how do you not only create values, but also embrace them as a company and ensure that everybody who joins your company embraces them. And you know, we can dig into that if you like. There's a lot of pieces to that. I'm certainly not an expert, but it's something we spend a lot of time on. And personally, I think, you know, whether you're building a team inside of a company or building a company, that is really the one of the unlocks, the big keys to success that um, not everybody gets right, in my opinion. So Yeah. So how do you make them, the values go from, you know, just some platitudes on a poster that somebody puts right. on the wall to being embraced and shared more collectively throughout the company? Yeah, I think starting off, they you need to be deliberate in how those values are created. And it needs to be, it, it isn't just one person who, you know, wrote them down on the weekend. It, it does need to be a process of, of a collaborative effort to, here's what we believe in as a company. Here's why we're here. Here's how mm -hmm. we're going to work together. And bringing people along, the leadership team and, and the whole company that this is what we believe in. And secondly, I think, especially for a growing company, you have to be willing to, you have to be willing to be flexible and not in the sense that you would, would uh, be flexible and not people not following your values, but understand that over time, your core values might need to change and you may need to reevaluate those. And I think that needs to be a deliberate process as well. Something explicit setting time apart to mm -hmm. talk about what your values mean to you, to the rest of the team and making sure that they still align. Um, so I think a lot of times you can kind of write these lofty values. You try to put them into place. They don't sit well, they don't stick and you never go back and change them. You know, you know, maybe we're not, uh, you know, maybe we're not a work hard, play hard culture, or maybe we're not a family friendly culture, or maybe we're not a, um, you know, a customer centric culture. Th those are, it's fine to go back and reset and agree that, you know, we're not, that's not representing our company today. And, if you don't do that on a regular basis, visit those values and bring your team along, you end up with, yeah, again, a, a poster that nobody, nobody cares about. So, right. Um, but I think the other piece is, is making sure that, you know, everybody on the team not only knows what the values are, but also is able to communicate them to new hires, to, you know, parts on, you know, managers are able to explain it to their team, what these values mean how they impact the way you're building a product or building a business. I think that's a, a really key point is the ability to explain it and yeah. unpack what the value means. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, words can mean so many different things to so many different people. So saying like, all right, word value integrity. Okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah. And unpack that more. Um, yeah. So bringing it into the construction space, why should construction firms or the trades kind of stop and, and really focus on building the team when there's so much work to be done? Yeah, I think it's, it's easy. And I think a little bit potentially the mentality of the culture of just like, get it done. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's easy to step over that piece and assume that, you know, not to stereotype the construction in industry, but assume that maybe we're, we're just to get it done type of group of people. And we don't need yeah. to spend time on this, but I think it was, uh, I think it was the HR, 
a VP of HR or something for Google who said along the lines of, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm. And, um, you know, the reality is what a good culture, what a good, you know, building a good team culture, what that does is it attracts key people to your company when you can, you can create a culture that people align to. And it also retains key people at your company. You know, sure. great employees aren't looking for a job because they're already at a great company. So how do you retain your team and bring in new and bring in, you know, new quality people? I think in the, um, I think it's easy to, again, to kind of paint this as a, you know, maybe a little bit too touchy feely type of thing, but the reality is, and, and I don't want to paint this as a generational, you know, it might be easy to, oh, that's a millennial thing. They got to have culture and values. I mean, in my experience, the same, the same feelings that a millennial or a Gen Z, X, Y, it's all similar in the sense that you want to have a purpose, a sense of belonging. You want to be on a mission with a group of people that are, are out, to, out to make an impact, to have a purpose. Yep. And that is not a millennial thing for me. I've found that to be true you know, young, old, you know, across all generations. And, and I think, I think in the construction company, I've seen some contractors take this very, you know, very deliberately, very explicitly create good values and, and express them. And, and it has a, a profound impact on the, the people that go to work there, the people who stay working there. And, um, and also the people who don't work there because they don't, share those values so mm -hmm. it, I, I it's not just a startup thing it's not a silicon valley thing this is a i, I think an unlock for for construction companies that i feel like we're starting to see some attention on this now you're starting to see some people pay attention to it but i would say there's a lot of work to go still hey innovators wanted to share some exciting news the Bridge in the Gap podcast has been nominated for the Construction Junkies 2020 Best Construction Podcast Award. I am so humbled and excited to be in the running with 11 other amazing podcasts. I'd be honored if you'd consider voting for the show in this category. We will have a link to vote in the show notes. Thank you for voting and thank you for continuing to listen to the Bridge in the Gap podcast. Yeah. For sure. I think it goes back to the old adage that people don't leave the company, they leave people. And so yeah. if you don't have those people and those relationships, right, that has a big impact on the company. It is. And, and you know, it's, it's in normal times, it's a big impact. I think when you go through tough times, like we're going through a uh, global pandemic right now, you know, all the normal kind of management processes, the way you get things done, the way you communicate, they're going to break down. There's nothing you can do to avoid it. How you thought you were running your company is going to break down. And whether that's checks and balances on what people get done, their responsibilities, they'll break down just because you go through unprecedented times. And those are the moments when your mission, your purpose, your values are either going to hold that team together or the whole company blows up because, mm -hmm. you know, people need to make decisions that don't have the you know, out of the context of what they were normally being managed to and people need to do what's right for the company. Well, if, if we were relying on this kind of like, Todd tells me what to do, I go do it. And then I tell the next person what to do. When that breaks down, what's left to guide the company and keep the people together. And that's, that's where, you know, the tough times, I think is where you're, 
it really becomes evident that teams that have good culture and the companies mm -hmm. that have a, a good mission versus those who don't. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, so you bring up an interesting thought that when the pressure of the the day to day or the you know things start getting crazy, like in a very unprecedented time that we're in, how do you keep culture a priority? You know, I, I think it, it it sounds good to say, oh, that's the where the teams come into play, and that's you know the work that you already put in is what you're going to see, and I agree with that. But at the same time, it's everything is so crazy. It's unpredictable. And it's very easy to be like, Oh, we're going to push that off to the side. We're yeah. not in person together. We're all scattered throughout. How do you keep that priority going? Yeah. I, I think two things worth addressing there. So number one is how do you do it when times are, are crazy? Um, and it needs to be an on-purpose plan. I mean, you have to have time dedicated. It needs to be a leadership. This isn't something you delegate to the head of HR or you delegate to, oh, you know, go create a culture or create, you know, mm -hmm. create some team building events. This needs to be, you know, top leadership down, making a, an on-purpose plan, an explicit set of time aside during the week, during the day to to talk about these things and to, and to you know, whether that's reviewing the mission statement, whether that's talking about the company values and how they fit in, whether it's about how you hire people and how that becomes part of their onboarding process. I think those are very explicit things that you can do. So we, we walk through every, in fact, I just did it this morning with the new hire. We walk through the entire company values, what it means, why they're important to the company, specific mm -hmm. examples of what that means. So family first, great. What does that mean? That means if, you know, if it's your daughter's birthday, that's priority. And the whole team understands that that's a priority. And, you know, we're going to make sure that that's a priority for you as a, as a person of the company. And the whole team's going to respect that. You don't have to feel guilty or, you know, if you have to take time off your daughter's birthday. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the trade-off is, you know, we might be up at 9 p.m. solving a software bug somewhere down the road, too. And that's kind of the, the right. trade-off. You know, that's an explicit way we talk to people when they're onboarded and when we talk about our values, what does it mean to be family first? Well, here's an example. Mm -hmm. that's so great. that's all stuff you can do, whether or not you're in an office. I think the real challenge a lot of us are dealing with now is how do you, how does that translate to work from home, shelter in place, no personal contact. And that's been really hard for us. I'm sure everybody's struggling. Um, I wouldn't say we've completely got it right, but we've put a lot of, things in place to kind of force communication to um uh to to make sure that there's um you never can replace the in-person meetings and the, just the kind of the group dynamics you get from sitting around a table mm -hmm. but you can do things to make sure everybody's voice is heard to make sure that there's kind of cross-team interaction going on so scheduling one-on-ones with people who wouldn't normally talk to each other just to mm -hmm. to have that um yep that's a good idea just, setting explicit time to talk about non-work things. So what are your interests? What are your hobbies? It's been, I think we've hired five or six people completely remotely now that, you know, haven't had the ability to come in and interact. And so we've, you know, one of the things that, that's come out of these, what are your hobbies and interests? We found a lot of people like music and, you know, people play instruments that we had no idea. So we've yeah. made it on purpose, like, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell everybody one-on-one. -on -one. And we found a lot of kind of common interest people that I worked with for two years in the office. When we put this 
practice in place where you write like a little, it's basically built a digital directory and everybody kind of writes a little bit about themselves. Okay. Some of the people that were on the team for two years, I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you played in a heavy metal band. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe we should, uh, you know, maybe we should get a band together when, when we get back from this. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, a I think yeah. this is it's a, obviously a crazy time, but I, I think for those that are focused on culture, it's actually been a really good time in a, in a weird way because it's forced you to be more intentional with your culture because you have yeah. to really go out of your way to pick up the phone and call somebody or do a, a video chat with somebody. And it's allowed you to kind of slow the pace down more than if you were in the office. Cause you kind of take those relationships for granted when you're seeing that person day in and day out. But when it's gone and you only have a, a couple minutes to, to talk to somebody or you haven't seen anybody for hours if they're living by themselves or something, then yeah, I, I think that that's all a, a good thing. And hopefully things can translate when everybody uh, starts coming back into the office. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, definitely one of the things we're thinking about, and I'm sure other companies are too, is how do we, you know, potentially take this learning experience and make, you know, keep that the ability to build culture remotely and, you know, the things that we're working on now to make sure we can hire people that don't ever come to the office. You know, how do we maybe take that as our, that just becomes the company and, and what mm -hmm. opportunities are there to learn right now and use that forward. Even if we do get back to whatever normal is or the new sense of normal, I think we've kind of to your point, we've spent a lot of time working on things of remote ways to solve problems that, probably translate to long-term changes for the company and, and probably put us on a, you know, it's not impossible to see us coming out stronger than we went into this mess because of that work that we've been doing um, yeah. on the culture, on the team building, on the communication during this time. Yeah, I think so. Uh, now let's flip it around a bit. Uh, so you're always going to deal with inevitable pushback when you're trying to you know, you put yourself out there and you're saying, this is what we stand for. This is what we're going to do. How do you deal with that pushback when you're trying to build this culture? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the easiest answer to that is just don't hire the people who don't <laughs> like your culture, <laughs> which, but I mean, there is some truth in that, in the way you interview and the way mm -hmm. you, like, what do you look for in a candidate and, you know, how do they align to your company values? Mm -hmm. Um, and which can be hard, you know, the hardest thing is looking over when you've got like a rock star candidate that is really at odds with some of your values and, you know, making that decision, do they belong on the team or not? So obviously if you can screen, if you make that part of your screening, which is what we do, you know, while we're interviewing one of the recruiting questions, one of the things we go through somewhere in the recruiting process is how does this person align to our company values? I think though, you know, you don't always have the pleasure of hiring your team. You know, sometimes you're handed the team or sometimes you've got a, um, you know, inherit whether it's acquisitions or mergers and that type of stuff, you, you get given a team. And I think in those cases, it, the stuff I mentioned earlier, you need to be explicit about what the values are. You need to live them yourself as a manager or a leader, um, you know, not delegate that to somebody else. And at some point, I think it becomes kind of an up or out mentality, which might sound a little harsh, but it's, it's, you owe that to the rest of the team to, mm -hmm. to, you know, for the rest of the team who embraces the values or 
aligned on the mission and the purpose, you owe it to them to make sure that everybody's on that same page and not, you know, having people on the team that aren't willing to, to share that, that purpose really. So, um, which is tough. I mean, it means at some point you may have yet to let people go or find a different role, a different place for them. But um, I think it's important to build the, a, a truly high functioning team. Yeah. For sure. Uh, is there anything that stands out in the last few years that you've learned um, in building these strong, cohesive teams? As it, one thing that uh, we were introduced to, we had a, a group come in that helped do some um, just kind of team dynamic stuff. And I, I, Todd, you might have done something like a disc profile. Yeah. Yep. Or, Love it. Or, uh, there's a I'm couple. a strong eye. Yeah, yes, me too. Yeah, that's funny. Nice. Um, but we had a, a group come in that did a, uh, what's called an Enneagram, which is kind of a, uh, a newer yep. personality profile. I think it, I think it touches more on, on the why than just the, the what. Yeah. Um, and it was, it's, it stuck with us. We've made it part of our, our company culture. Everybody goes through an Enneagram test and then explains to everybody else, this is what type I am. And you guys can, maybe we can add some show notes or something like that, but there's a lot of really great information on it. It's super easy to implement. Yeah. But what's been extremely powerful out of that, just from a team standpoint is, I think any, any of these personality profiles, by the way, can unlock this for a team. It's, it's that realization that we're not all the same. And sometimes you go through that test and, you know, you answer the questions you're like, Oh, well, you know, everybody's going to be an I. How, how else could I have answered these questions? Of course, there's only one right answer to this. Right. You know? Well, that's what I think. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then you get in the room. If you've done these, you go to the room with your team and it's like, wait, what do you mean? You're, we're not all the same. Like those questions were so obvious. Yeah. And uh, like that's a major, a major kind of um, enlightening, I think, for a team to realize that, first of all, we're not all the same. And number two, it's that diversity that actually makes you a high-performing team. And it's kind of embracing that versus, well, why aren't we all, you know, the Ds are like, why aren't we all Ds or why aren't we all Is? And, and in the Enneagram, I think, is, I think it's a much more balanced, um, I, I really, I think it's a, a better tool. We've had a lot of success with it. And uh, it's yeah. something simple and easy, but it, it, it gives you the same way. It allows people who are not the same type to communicate with each other. It more effectively. It allows us to realize what we act like when we're under stress, when we're, you know, when we're in a growth mode, under a stress mode. And uh, I, I can tell you in, uh, inside of our team, we, we talk about it all the time now. Like, oh, well, he's a type one. Of course, you know, of course he doesn't want to. Right. <laughs> yeah. The, I think the Enneagram is really cool. And it's You've done it too, right? quite accurate. Yeah. I'm a three on the okay. Enneagram. I'm a pretty nice. big defiant yeah. three. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and when you read it, you're probably like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, nailed it. Oh, yeah, yeah, every word I was just highlighting. My <laughs> wife actually introduced me to the Enneagram, uh, <laughs> and so we use that all the time to be like, oh, yeah, that's why that person's acting like that. Okay, well, then, because they're, a, you know, a four, I have to respond this way to them. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's right. a really great tool. Hey, MEP friends, looking for a competitive edge? MEP Force is the event for you. It has become the gathering place for industry leaders throughout MEP to come together and learn the new technology trends in prefabrication and more. The best part is that it's all industry led and driven. 
meaning real people from the trades will be leading the almost 80 breakout sessions. So you will be getting real life practical examples and use cases to take back and implement right away. This year, it's all virtual. So if you register now, you will have access to all the breakout sessions even after the official event is over. Go to mepforce.com to register today and use promo code BTG99 to get your ticket for only $99. That's an almost 80% discount. See you virtually at MEP Force. So Jake, I want to unpack the Enneagram a bit more. Uh, can you kind of briefly go over the, the nine types and then you know, what type are you? Yeah, the, uh, the Enneagram has been pretty... Uh... We've learned a lot about this. Like I said, I think compared to some of the other personality tests, it, it gives you a little different perspective. But the basic premise is there's nine types, and it, it's uh, it's on a circle. So uh, not everybody's exactly one type, but you're somewhere on the circle. So you, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So you can't be like two uh, and seven, but you could be like two and three. You could be in between two and three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a type seven, pretty, pretty much spot on type seven, which is an enthusiast. Um, you know, the, the positives of a type seven are lots of positive energy and, and, uh, always thinking about the positive, but the things that I work on where I struggle with is, um, number one, sevens don't like pain. So they don't always like to dig into the, the problems. They'd rather hear positive news. So, you know, don't tell me yeah. something's broken. Just tell me how great everything is. Um, and then a, a constant kind of need for more um, like stimulus. So always kind of um, scatterbrained. So I, I know that I'm very good at kind of setting the vision, doing like high level thinking, but I'm not good at following through on the details, for example. So it's been important for me to find, you know, to surround myself with people that are very detail focused who can kind of pick up the, the ball for me. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the fun of doing it as a team is you realize that, you know, on our team, we have all nine types represented, which is not oh, well. uncommon. Um, yeah. if you've got a decent sized team and, and you kind of realize how you all fit together as a high functioning team and, you know, who, where people fit in. So how, how about yourself, Todd? What you said yeah. you were a three? I'm a three. I'm a very, very high three. So a three is the achiever and performer. So put me out front, give me a microphone and yeah. I will go i will talk i will <laughs> uh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly I, I want my gold star at the end of the day so uh, you know three kind of similar to the seven in that i i want the positive I, I want you to to tell me how how great everything is doing um and, and threes typically have a we are very vision future focused and so it's you know what's the new goal what's the new height that i can accomplish and we uh we don't always take the time to sit back and self-reflect on what am I doing in it or you know how can I play a part we're just like no we're great we're gonna keep going (laughs) uh yeah the wings are an interesting thing to unpack there too I'm a so I'm a three but I have a two wing which is the helper so I want to come along other people and help with their needs um yeah, I mean, it, there's a whole lot of layers of complexity, but I, I think it does a really good job of explaining the why behind the personality. So, yeah. you know, we were talking about DISC. DISC is great on how you communicate and how you want to be communicated to. But I, I feel like the Enneagram is really good at coming back around and giving the motivation yeah. behind that. 
Yeah. Um, so to go to a place where threes don't like to go in the self-reflecting, <laughs> the, the kind of the driver behind a three is uh, we're wanting to be achieve and we're wanting to perform because we are scared that if you find the, the real us, that you might not like us and we won't be accepted. Yeah. So we're going to do anything that we can to achieve and get the, the gold star that way. Uh, you know, all those, uh, all the different numbers have this, their own struggles and stuff. This, have you done this as a group at, at Applied? Have you guys done a, uh, a session where you're going kind to, of, it's good to have a moderator when you go through this the first time, because it can be a little uh, uncomfortable. And one of the big things you have to realize is that there's no right or wrong number. And that, right. you know, that takes some learning too. Cause, uh, but have you guys done that as a group at, at Applied? Uh, we haven't with Enneagram. We did with DISC. With okay. Enneagram, there's several of us on the, the marketing team that are pretty into Enneagram. So we all know our numbers. Um, we have actually a lot of nines on the team as well. So nines are the, the peacekeepers and want to make sure everybody's well taken care of and not really going to, you know, ruffle the waves at all. <laughs> They're going to go on to get along. Um, you got to balance out those threes, you know. <laughs> that's right. Maybe that's why <laughs> they're uh, they're just trying to keep it all chill. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. just go and pump it up. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Uh, so do you guys do that with each new hire that comes on? That Yeah, we did like a full, we did a company offsite last year. We did a full session on it with a, like an implementer or a, a moderator. Um, and then we've made that part of our onboarding now. So, um, you know, when you join the team you and our director, you kind of learn what everybody else's type is. And you also do your own Enneagram. And you know, part of that people post I talked about or the, you know, like writing your little, who am I? Mm -hmm. Includes what Enneagram type am I with some reflection on, oh yeah, uh, you know, I'm definitely a seven because, you know, here's kind of my seven tendencies, enthusiasm. And, and by the way, here's some things that I'm working on. And and that can be, you know, that can take some coaching or that can take some time just to admit that, you know, you've got areas of development along with, you know, your, and I think there's some, some real empathy that comes out of that exercise. That's very good for all of us, um, including new hires. So, yeah, for sure. I, I think it is a good thing of creating that awareness and then you can come alongside because you see where somebody's weaker in. And so another personality trait can come alongside and go, no, I got this. This is, I'm going to pick this slack right. up. And then you right. really start seeing that, that teamwork happening. I am, again, as a person who doesn't love the details, it's super critical. And I've found like some of the most successful teams is when I've been kind of paired with somebody who's got a very detail focused, you know, very wants to make sure everything's done just right. Um, so a, you know, kind of a type one type of person is, is been helpful to have alongside me. Um, but somebody who's got a very like uh, ability to, who, who takes pleasure in getting it right. Um, you know, versus yeah. me, oh, that's close enough. You know, let's go next. next <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> yeah. On to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. But you, you need both, right? You need to have both and you need to have a balanced team that it's got different personalities. So, Sure. That's awesome. Thanks for unpacking that more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another process, and I was just talking with a contractor about this um, before the weekend. If, you, if you're familiar with kind of the agile 
development process that software teams use. Mm -hmm. um, you know, more and more, I think construction folks are realizing that there's some parallels or some opportunity to embrace some of that. You know, agile development is working in, in sprints, very defined process. So you say, here's the sprint, here's what we're going to get done. And there's a lot that goes into planning the sprint and a lot of stuff that comes out the other end, but it's basically rather than first do this, do this, do this, which is called waterfall development. Agile is very much like, okay, we're going to do this chunk and then this chunk. And there's a, I think there's good, I think there's just in the need to be agile is probably increasing in our lives in general, no matter what industry you're in. And the fact that we shouldn't be planning for two years, but we should be thinking about incremental chunks of work. Right. And, um, Circling back on the culture, though, there's another piece of this that I really have found useful for our team, which is what's called a retrospective or something you do at the end of each sprint where you basically take the time to have a how did we work as a team conversation? Hmm. Um, what did we, you know, very when it's done right, it's a very open environment. It's a very um, no, nothing personal, very objective um, but talking about how we work together, like, you know, Todd, did you, you know, give me the support I needed was, you know, Jake, did I communicate properly to you? And it can, you know, sometimes it can be emotional. Sometimes it could be, you know, tough conversations, but it can be a real, just setting time aside to talk about that. How did we work mm -hmm. as a team it can be a real, real like emotional or, or, or productivity step when you've oh, addressed sure. that because, I think in particular in construction, we don't always take that time. Like, okay, we finished floor seven, we're going on to floor eight. Well, what do we, what do we do wrong on floor seven? Like, how do we, how do we work as a team? And, you know, how do we coordinate with the fab shop? How do we plan materials? How do we like pulling the group of people together and having that conversation, I, I think has a lot of value. And um, I don't think people do that a lot in the construction world. And I think there's a great, you know, some great opportunity to bring that retro, retrospective type of process in. Um, so yeah. that's another one that I've embraced in the last couple of years, I think is very powerful for team building. That's awesome. Um, so uh, that's a, a good segue into kind of a, another uh, part of, uh, for construction firms, a, a part of the, the culture dynamic. And that's the, the relationship between office and the field. Uh, so what do you think ideally that partnership should look like yeah that's a tough one and and uh, i guess we're on the bridging the gap podcast so it's probably a good time to talk about that there you so, go i love it. <laughs> bridge any kind of gap here <laughs> yeah yeah we've been um i mean that's been kind of core to dato kind of core to the company that we're building is is really i guess first and foremost realizing that there is a bit of a divide there mm -hmm. and um i can tell you all kinds of theories and why I think that divide is growing. Um, but a lot of it, believe it or not, is technology related. And I think I think the the way that we used to do work is becoming dispersed. And this is not you know coronavirus related. This is just in general. I think the way we build today is becoming more distributed. Mm -hmm. And as an example, it wasn't that long ago, maybe 10 years ago. And by the way, a lot of people still work like this today so but you know we gave the we gave a foreman or a roll of plans and a crew sent them out and and 
tells them to, to tell him or tell us when he or her was done with the job and uh, and they would order material, they would plan work, they would manage everything kind of in the field. And today we have a lot more, yeah, of course that's a bit of, of an exaggeration, but generally speaking, we gave a lot of, you know, just go, go get it done in the field mm -hmm. mentality. And today we have a lot more coordination needed between the office and the field. And a simple example for a trade contractor is when there's a coordinated model required on that project, whether it's pre-construction or a coordinated as-built when you're done. You know, I, I might have allowed the plumber to go solve conflicts in the field, move a drain line, you know, go work it out if you and the you know, electrical contractor are clashing or, you know, in the same space, you guys sort it out, you know, maybe mm -hmm. whoever's got the easier way to make a bend in there you know, put an elbow in your conduit or, or reroute a drain line. There was a lot of leeway given to the field to go sort that out. And when you're dealing in the coordinated space, that doesn't exist. You have to, you have to verify who can move, who's right, who's wrong. So there becomes a lot of coordination back and forth. And I think the uh, knowledge, the ability, the what's needed to make those decisions, a lot of times lives in the office because those are the people who are creating the model, sitting in the clash meetings, you know, doing the coordination. So you end up with this kind of divide, and we, we see this a lot with you know contractors needing information about what's the elevation, where am I supposed to be? I'm you know I'm bumping up against the fire sprinkler. How, what do I do to move this? And you end up again, I think creating a bigger gap now between the field and the office because the a lot of that technology lives in the office. You have a lot more people in the office too, by the way. You have, uh, the advent of like a BIM team or a detailing team that's a whole group of people that didn't exist uh, for most contractors 10 years ago. And then you have the field, which for the most part is kind of using the same tools and processes that they've been given. You know, there hasn't been a lot of advancement there. And, you know, there's improvements there, whether that be, um, you know, being able to fly through Navis in the field and use some, use some of the coordination software. But in a lot of cases, that knowledge, the ability to resolve those conflicts is in the office. So now we have this gap. We have something that needs to get fixed in the field and people in the office that know about it. And that creates this communication issue. And I think, um, I think as of today, there's a lot of opportunity to improve that uh, culturally. I think there's, you've probably seen this or heard this, but you know, there's this little stigma that the guys behind the computer don't do real work. And the guys and guys and gals in the fields are just a bunch of can't think. And the um, criticism they get for going and just drawing in the model versus doing work, it's it's real. I mean, there's a cultural divide. Like, oh, you're if you're not hanging pipe, if you're not you know setting setting inserts, you're not a real contractor. Um, so there's a, right. a gap in just the the. Um, so I don't think I answered any questions about how to fix this, Todd. <laughs> but um, I, it's, it's, it's a complicated problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I and I think in a lot of ways the as more technology enters the trade, the at least the more attention we need to pay to it, we need to put on this this reality mm -hmm. that we're creating a gap between what it means to be a contractor in the office versus in the field. Yeah, uh, so. I mean, you talked about there that kind of broken relationship dynamic there. How do you go about building greater trust in that relationship? <laughs> so I think that uh, there's, 
there's some very construction specific answers to that question. Like how do we create a better relationship between the office and the field? And that I've seen companies where they actually require their detailing team or their estimators or their, the people in the office to actually spend time on the job sites deliberately. Mm -hmm. Like you should spend a day a week out on that, on the sites that you're doing detailing or coordinating, you need to spend a day out there with the people each week, which seems like a time suck, but you know, they companies doing it seem to be getting value from it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's things that can be done there. I think on the, on the alternate, having some rotation between field people spend time in the office and in the shop and understand what those roles look like. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there's construction, there's, there's reasons why that doesn't happen. And, and there's reasons why teams don't always, you know, sometimes the BIM team or the detailing team or the fab shots, a fab shop is a shared resource that doesn't really feel like they're part of the team that's building the project and you can create that divide. I think some of the things we talked about, about a culture, about values, about communication, um, apply very much to this problem. I think having, you know, on purpose communication and, you know, there's a lot of construction personas that that might be a little awkward or may not go well with, but, you know, having time where the detailing manager and the field foreman get on the phone and talk about baseball or, or, you know, just those simple types of, Hey, we're on a team. We both want to get this project built. Mm -hmm. We both have responsibilities and we have to have some respect for what we're both here doing. And I don't want to dwell on that detailing versus foreman conflict too much, but that's one I see a lot um, in practice. Yeah. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. One of the things that uh, at the risk of uh, oversimplifying it that, that I'm hearing is the, the need for respect for perspective and being able to really understand where the other person's coming from, what right. their needs and wants and goals are, and then being able to align and match with that. Yeah. Um... I don't, I think there's a, a debate of, is it better to have your office staff with people who have worked in the field and appreciate, you know, what it's like to set studs or to, you know, do that work? Or, or is it better to have a specialized staff that kind of came through? And, and there's probably a case for both. And I would say both can probably be successful if, to your point, you can, because essentially what you're saying there is in order for the office team to be effective, they have to have an appreciation for what the field does. Right. And I, I would believe that there's a, there's a hack there that doesn't require the person to have been in the field for 10 years to have that appreciation. Um, right. Whether that's a rotational, you know, a lot of larger companies do these kind of onboarding deals where you rotate through different roles, different perspectives, you know, go sit with the accounting team, go sit with the, the HR team. And I would imagine that there's ways that we could do that in construction without saying, oh, we can only hire 
you know, detailers that have, have been in the field for 10 years. I, I would imagine we can solve some of that um, just by looking for ways to create that shared understanding. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it really starts with something as simple as just having conversations with people <laughs> and, and getting those two teams talking with each other. <laughs> well, I don't think we need to go super rocket science on it, you know, just, just talk with people. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. the I in me coming out though, but <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, that, that there's definitely a persona that they don't like to talk and you can even say you guys are going to do a one-on-one -on -one and sit together and, and talk about, uh, you know, whatever cooking or, or, uh, uh, you know, skiing, whatever you want to talk about. And there's people who are just not going to do it. They're going to be uncomfortable. Right. You know, so, um, but I think recognizing that that's the case, you have to look for other ways to, to bridge the gap um, for those type of people when, when you know that they're that type of person. So uh, we might be solving it as we're talking here, Todd, but maybe a little Enneagram. Yeah, there you go. Go back to the basics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it. Uh, so tell me more about Dato. So Dato, I think, you know, partially, I wouldn't by any means overstate that we're solving that problem, but at least we're, you know, hopefully trying to fill some of the need there of the gap between the office and the field. So we, mm -hmm. we had this realization when we started that there is a gap. It is becoming harder to keep up with the information and it's kind of digital overload that some people, I think trade contractors in particular are feeling more acutely than other people in the industry. I mean, if you're a, a project manager or somebody who's managing a project or a general contractor managing a project, you have a plethora of new tools uh, digital tools available f to you. You can, yeah. you've got a more coming all, daily. <laughs> yeah. Daily, daily, whether it's auto, you know, AI for scheduling or, you know, field reporting and, and, you know, all these uh, kind of apps, if everybody punches their data into these apps as a, as a manager, you get all this rich data. Well, that's great. I think our realization talking with a lot of folks in the field is, well, Hey, like we're getting all this stuff pushed down on us. Like we have to, put our RFIs into the system. We have to punch our time cards into the system. We have to, you know, we have to do our, our updates here so everybody can see them. But there hasn't been a lot of solutions to make that person's life better. And, you know, turning your field into a bunch of data entry specialists is not a good solution to, to improve. While that might be attractive if you're the, you know, if you're the person who sat in the office and had to punch manual time cards in every day, might be very attractive to require everybody to punch them into an app, but that really may not be solving the core issues of your, your field team. And, you know, so we started, Dato started by really talking to, you know, trade contractors in particular and types of people about what is their day like today? What happens when you have a bunch of new technology? And one thing that became kind of consistent, a consistent message we heard was just this kind of data overload um, in lots of different platforms and, and call them silos if you like, but you know, we have a lot of different data living in a lot of different places. Now, every job might be different. So if I'm a foreman working on a few jobs or from the shop foreman work, you know, trying to support 10 jobs and each of those, the GC has a different software platform in place, or there's a different place where my, you know, source of truth is stored. It can be a pretty daunting task just to find what you're looking for. Um, you know, do I have the latest set of plans? Has the submittal been approved? What's the status on this RFI? Is there an RFI? You know, has this sheet been changed at all? So we started by approaching that really as using search 
as our backbone. So okay. at its core, Data is a search engine, and and it's a search engine focused on construction. So a search engine that understands what submittal means, what that a submittal has a spec section, or specs are tied to submittals, that plans have details, that shop drawings are you know representations of architectural drawings. So it's a, a search engine that has a lot of construction intelligence built in, which requires minimal kind of upfront work to, to get that intelligence out. What I mean by that is you can, with very little work, put your data into Dato and get lots of construction insights that you don't get out of filing them on a folder structure, you know, trying to build out a big directory somewhere on, a, on your server or on box. You just mm -hmm. lose the richness, the intelligence of, has this plan been updated? Has, is there a um, is there a cut sheet for this equipment tag that's on this motor control schedule? You know, all those kind of data relationships that, um, you know, through search, you can create these great relationships. So I can, when data, I can easily jump between a motor control schedule to the submittal to potentially an RFI back to the spec section, just by using search to jump to each of those without having to build a huge folder structure like, oh, where's, where are my submittals saved for you know, fan fan motors or, or whatever. So those are that search is already built for you inside of Dato. Awesome. Nice. Um, yeah, it's been good. I mean, the second big unlock we had was was working with the field folks. Like, how do you want to find the information? And that's where we we centered on voice search. Okay. So nice. The main interface for the the iOS or the app side is is voice. So you can just say, you know, show me the reflected ceiling plan or you know, what hangers are approved for mechanical piping and data pulls up the whatever documents answer those questions. Nice. Very cool. Well, how do people get a hold of you or, or find out more information about uh, Dato? Uh, uh, websites projectdato.com, www.projectdato.com. Um, you find the email me as well, jake at projectdato.com. Um, we have a, a, uh, initial social media presence, I guess, if you want to try to reach us through uh, those types of channels. Um, but yeah, I mean, send me an email directly. That's fine. And, um, you know, we've, we've had a, uh, so far so good. A lot of trade contractors, I think are really happy with a, an interface, a system, a platform that is built for them and is a simple way to solve a, a hard problem, which is kind of finding the needle in the haystack, finding what you're looking for. Yeah. That's awesome. And we'll link to all those in the, the show notes for you guys. Cool, awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Jake. I, I really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation of culture and trades. Me too, Todd. Thanks for having us on. I appreciate it. And thank you to those listening. If you are interested in learning any more, you can visit uh, projectdata.com or you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Enjoyed the episode? Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.
Bridging the Gap is directed by Todd Wyant, produced by Alyssa Tardier, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.